Uh, our guest preacher today uh, was with us last week, and uh, he's back with us again this week, uh, is the Reverend Rocky Anthony. Uh, Rocky is a friend. He's been uh, kind enough to be with us several times uh, during uh, this last transition, and um, we are grateful and look forward to hearing God's word from you today. Thanks. It is nice to be back with you. I'm not really a southerner, I've told you that, so when I say that, it's not hyperbolic. Um, where's Blake? Where did he go? He's maybe helping with the children. Um, it was a very encouraging testimony, wasn't that? So encouraging. Um, we began a su- uh, last Sunday looking at a two-part series that uh, of called Seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus. Just acknowledging together how easy it is for us uh, to lose sight of Jesus, to become uh, so self-absorbed, so self-focused, that we no longer see Jesus for who he is. And losing sight of who he is, how we often fail to bring to him those burdens that we have. So last week, we walked through a story of a blind man named Barnabas. Those of you who were here, do you remember that? How a blind man actually saw Jesus for who he was? Interesting. He hears these words from Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? I've carried that question with me this past week. He, he receives his sight. He follows Jesus and he becomes a worshiper. The crowd who sees this, uh, they praise God. And there's transformation. That was last week. Seeing Jesus, the healer, this morning. Seeing Jesus, the forgiver. The story I want us to look at is a familiar one. Many of you learned this in Sunday school a long, long time ago. In fact, you learned a song that went with this. It's about a wee little man in a sycamore tree. It has a lot to teach us about coming clean, coming to Jesus uh, for what we need the most. It also teaches us some beautiful things about the way Jesus treats a seriously flawed people who are willing to turn to him and what that means for us. Before we turn to our passage here in Luke 19, Let's just pause and pray and ask God to prepare us for the reading of his word. Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of your word, which is for us a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would be gracious to clear away any distraction, anything that would uh, keep us from hearing your shepherd's voice any plans that we think are so important for the day or for the week, please just clear those out. Allow us to hear from you. And God, would you be kind to to use me as I surrender myself wholly to you. This is our prayer in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. We read again, we return to the Gospel of Luke, the, the passage following the passage we looked at last week 
as Jesus makes his way toward Jerusalem. So Luke 19, beginning with verse 1. Hear now the word of God. He, speaking of Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, speaking here of the crowd, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he, he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, the first thing I want to highlight, to pull out, is what it meant in the biblical period to be a tax collector. Because if we miss that, we fail to get the tension of the story, the significance of this encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus. In this time of period in in Israel, there were certain vocations that carried a heavy social stigma. Uh, These were actually called despised trades. No devout Jew uh, would ever engage in them. People who practiced these professions were not just uh, socially unacceptable. They would be considered outcasts in society. And the top of the list, at the top of the list, were tax collectors. As some of you know, Israel was occupied by Rome, by a foreign power. Rome was primarily interested with how much money they could squeeze out of Israel. So instead of having Rome collect taxes, because that didn't work very well, they would get willing Israelites to do the job for them. So tax collectors were despised not only because they were dishonest people, but they were despised because they were traitors. They literally sold out their brothers and sisters for profit. It was just assumed that any tax collector was guilty of massive dishonesty. Zacchaeus, we're told, was not just a tax collector, uh, but he was a chief tax collector. I didn't intend to preach on a tax collector the same week I paid my own taxes, just how it happened to work that way. We don't usually have a soft spot in our hearts for the IRS or for taxes or any of this. 
But understand, in this day, tax collecting and taxes, it was really more like a cartel. It was really more like, like a mob. And at the top of the mob syndicate sat Zacchaeus. He is sold out. And now he's rich. He's powerful. He's successful, successful. And he's thoroughly corrupt. And he's hated by everyone. Do you have that picture? And yet for Zacchaeus, there's a hole in his heart that all this money and all this power couldn't fill. Maybe, maybe in him there's guilt. Maybe there's this cumulative shame, a loneliness, a detachment. We don't know altogether. But we do know that Zacchaeus heard about Jesus. Word was that Jesus was on his way into the town of Jericho. Jesus, you'll remember, was often accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And of course, maybe somewhere along the way, Zacchaeus heard that one of Jesus' 12 disciples was once a tax collector, Matthew. Matthew's name, by the way, means gift of our Lord Matthew, who left everything to follow Jesus. No doubt Zacchaeus had heard that story. Surely that creates even more curiosity for him to see Jesus. The problem was that Jesus attracted a crowd, and verse 3 tells us that there was a big crowd that day. And when you're a tax collector, you're not a real popular guy. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but he wants, he doesn't want to be seen seeing Jesus. So he climbs up a tree. He climbs up this tree to see over the crowd because he's a short guy. So I like Zacchaeus. So he can see over the crowd. And I think I have a little insight into Zacchaeus because it's not just that maybe he's short. I think he's trying to hide. I think he's trying to hide. Verse 5, Jesus is getting closer and closer. Zacchaeus is thinking to himself, this is good, this is good. He's getting closer. I'm hiding in the tree. I can get a good look at him. And then all of a sudden, he's not just close. He's standing right under the tree. And now he's looking up at Zacchaeus. This is not what he planned on. This is getting too close. And then things get worse. Not only is Jesus stopped, but now he actually looks up at Zacchaeus and he says his name, calls him by name. How did he know my name? And this sets a ripple through the crowd. Imagine Zacchaeus. He thinks he's going to hide in the tree, watch Jesus from a safe distance, and now everything has changed. Now instead of hiding, he's the focus of the entire show. And let me say, when you're reading the Bible, you need to ask questions. You need to put yourself in the story. You're in the crowd. What are you hoping Jesus will say to the chief tax collector of the town? The crowd is thinking, oh, this is going to be good. Jesus, give it to him. Blast him. Tell him what a jerk he is. Tell him to stop bullying us. Tell him what a cheat he is. Jesus, send him to hell. 
Jesus always surprises us. He doesn't say any of the things that the crowd expects him to say. Verse 5, Zacchaeus, Jesus says, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. What? He doesn't say any of, he doesn't say I'd like to or I've been thinking about it. Is it okay with you? No, I must. The response of the crowd, shock. People are often shocked by the kind of people Jesus chose to hang out with. The type of people Jesus chose not to judge. Luke makes it very clear when they saw it, they all what? Grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of the man who is a sinner. And they probably said it just like that. A sinner. They grumbled. They complained. I mean, of all the people who get to host Jesus... Because hosting somebody in this culture was a big deal. It was a picture of relationship. It was an honor to host someone. It was symbolic. The townspeople look at that and they despise Zacchaeus. The sinner gets to host Jesus? Which leads to the second insight I want to glean from our encounter. Are you with me? Jesus didn't prejudge Zacchaeus because of his reputation. He was willing to look at his deeper need. Jesus didn't prejudge Zacchaeus because of his reputation. He was willing to look at his deeper need. Stay with me on this. A while back, I read a book called Unchristian. For the most part, it was a report of a study gathered the perceptions of 16 to 29-year-olds about the church. For me, the saddest thing reading this book was not so much what these 16 to 29-year-olds said, but that deep down I knew they were right. Like a 25-year-old named Jeff who makes this comment. Christians, he said, talk about hating sin and loving sinners. But the way they go about things, they might as well call it what it is. They hate sin and the sinner. Here's how the author describes one particular problem of judgmentalism. And it's one that I believe... Um, Jesus is actually speaking to in this encounter with Zacchaeus and does so many different times and ways in the Gospels. The author says to be judgmental is to point out something that is wrong in somebody else's life, making the person feel put down, excluded, and marginalized. Get this. Some part of their potential to be Christ followers is snuffed out. 
Being judgmental is fueled by self-righteousness, a misguided inner motivation to make your own life look better by comparing it to someone else's life. Unfortunately, Christians in our culture have become identified with this perception. Nearly nine out of ten young non-believers said the term judgmental accurately describes present-day Christianity. And of the things we must understand about the dark impact of this chronic, critical, judgmental spirit is that those who are not Christ followers, those who look on and comment about what they see in Christian circles, say that it's one of the very things that causes them to reject Christianity. Because Christians are perceived to be a bunch of angry, political, far-right, narrow-minded, mean-spirited people. And, of course, the sad irony is that Jesus was so unlike that. Jesus encounters this woman who's caught in the act, in the act of adultery. Instead of condemnation and judgment, he extends grace. You who throw, you you who committed no sin, you throw the first stones, and the stones drop, 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 and then it's just Jesus and the woman. I don't condemn you either. Now go and live a different life. I continue to be amazed at how freely Jesus extends grace to broken, messed up people. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been refreshing if the people in the town cheered? Wonderful! Jesus is going to Zacchaeus' house. This is amazing. Let's pray for that encounter. None of that. Well, these are the last words recorded of Jesus until the end of the story. His message to Zacchaeus, his sermon, was his presence. A lack of scorn, rejection, and judgment, and the kind of shunning that Zacchaeus has pretty much known from everybody in his life. These opening words, invitational words, these affirming words, really are his message. There are closing words at the end of the encounter that are absolutely beautiful. We'll look at those in a moment. But the sermon is really his willingness to rub shoulders with irreligious people. Outcasts, shunned people who are marginalized and rejected by everybody else. The socially and politically scandalous. And when I look at my life, I'm just going to be honest. I shudder to think how different it looks from Jesus in this area. How I arrange my social circles around nice people who share my views. Respectable people who agree with me and don't create awkward moments that are difficult for me to navigate. How different the people I gravitate toward are from the people that Jesus gravitated toward. And how I've been really challenging that in my own life. Trying to correct that. I don't know what that looks like for you. Well, Jesus leads with grace, not judgment, with kindness, and not 
um, cynicism, how does that impact Zacchaeus? He climbs down from the tree, maybe trembling a little bit with each step. We could say Zacchaeus comes out of hiding. And again, this is the first step in this encounter of restoration. If you want to come out of hiding, if you want to have an encounter with Jesus, you've got to admit the truth about who you really are. No excuses, no rationalizations. You need to come out of hiding into the presence of Jesus. And that's where he was. This encounter means Zacchaeus must come down out of the tree and admit the truth about who he was to Jesus and really to himself and really to the people around him. In my counseling world, I'm working with a number of people, helping them in various 12-step recovery programs, and the steps are hard. Sometimes the language is different, but in the fifth step of really any AA program, it goes like this. Uh, I admit, whatever the language is, whatever the issue is, I admit to God, then to myself, then to another person, the exact nature of my wrong. That's the fifth step. In other words, I finally stop trying to hide, and I'm willing to acknowledge to God who I really am. To myself, to God, and to another person. You know what I find interesting about people like you and me? Are you with me? We're willing to live with huge problems as long as other people don't find out about them. (laughs) Give you something that's been helpful to me lately. Unrepentant sinners, people who are still trapped in their sin, staying in the tree, are more concerned with getting caught than they are with getting help. Repentant sinners, sinners in recovery, sinners who have come out of the tree and encountered Jesus are more concerned with getting help than they are with getting caught. And as long as your primary concern is not getting caught, you'll never get help. You see, Zacchaeus reached the point where he says, being with Jesus is more important than anything. So I'll take the risk. And this is so, such wonderful news about the approach of Jesus. Please, let's not miss this. He comes to Zacchaeus. We might expect Jesus to say, okay, Zacchaeus, if you come clean, if you fix your life, If you change your profession, if you pay back everybody you owe, I'll come to your house. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say that. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. Jesus always leads with grace. He always leads with grace. And you can trust him. Whatever it is that you're most ashamed ashamed of, you don't have to hide from Jesus. He knows. He already knows. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves you. He's the one that leaves the 99 and goes and rescues the one. This is Jesus. Third insight I want us to glean from this encounter. When we experience God's grace, it is Transformational. When we experience God's grace, it is transformational. Verse 6, so he hurried 
and came down and received him joyfully. Who welcomed who joyfully? Well, Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus joyfully. And maybe I'm reading into the story a little bit too much. I don't think I am. But I think Zacchaeus had experienced so much hate and was despised so deeply by people around him that he was undone by the grace that Jesus had extended to him. I don't think he had a category for this. He was so bowled over by Jesus' interested interest in him and the fact that Jesus had so intentionally pursued him. He didn't know how to handle it. The crowd is shocked. They're outside grumbling. Oh, he's in there with the sinner, but inside there's a party. I'm so thankful that Jesus is not like us. Jesus is more concerned about doing the right thing than he is about keeping everybody around him happy. So Zacchaeus becomes aware that in the presence of his gracious Savior, he sees Jesus, the sinner of all people, sees the real Jesus for who he is, and that Jesus has accepted him and is willing to forgive him. And now look at his reaction, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I want to point out two things that Zacchaeus does in response to Jesus' offer of forgiveness. One of them, he wants to set right what he's done wrong. He says, listen, if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I want to pay, pay back four times as much. Now, he didn't have to do that. According to the Old Testament law, if you cheated someone out of something, you're obligated to pay back whatever you cheated plus 20%. 20%. So what we see in Zacchaeus is that in his encounter with God, this experience of grace, he just can't contain himself. He, this is his, his expression of thanksgiving, his level of gratitude. He has to go overboard. God has been lavish in his kindness to me, he says. I can't hold back showing my gratitude to him in the amends that I make to those I've wronged. But then he does something else. In addition to making right the wrong he's done, he says, I want to give half of what I own to the poor. There was nothing in Old Testament law about that. That's what we call over the top. In other words, I'm so thankful for what God has done for me. Not only am I going to pay back what I owed Times four, I'm so thankful. I'm going to give half of what I owe. And if you're the chief tax collector, that's a lot. Something happens when people truly meet God. People who've considered the, the weight of their sin and they've been brought face to face with their fallenness. We just heard a testimony about that this morning. 
They know they don't measure up and they cry out to God for, for forgiveness and he accepts them and he redeems them and he heals them and he restores them. And what happens? Joy, gratitude, appreciation, indebtedness, thankfulness. And this is very important. Zacchaeus didn't view all this money, this payback, as somehow working off his punishment. I've been bad, so let me do something good to settle this debt as if... uh, This was some good work. This is not done, get this, this is not done out of some sort of obligation. This is what we call overflow. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, just as you were taught, here it comes, and overflowing with thanksgiving. This is Zacchaeus. We serve, we love, we give, we worship, not out of obligation, not because it earns us anything or allows us to work off our badness. Our badness has already been covered by the goodness of Jesus. We love, we serve, we worship, and give out of the overflow of gratitude for all that Jesus has given to us. Because like Zacchaeus, we cannot contain our joy overflowing with thankfulness. Seeing Jesus, seeing our forgiveness offered through him transforms us into people who are are unleashed to live with a kind of Radical celebration in life. Which leads to the last insight I want us to see in this encounter. Because Jesus offers, finally, assurance and a sense of of belonging. Jesus says to him at the beginning and now at the end, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. The illusion here about adoption. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Restoration, healing, hope, renewal has come to this man. The good news for us this morning, Jesus is still seeking after those who come out of hiding and turn to him. Just to humbly admit your need of him. Yes, to rescue you from your sin. Yes, to forgive you of your sin. But also to guide you in a different way of living. A life of freedom and joy. Wherever you find yourself this morning, know that Jesus is still seeking after you. Longing for you to know him better. To know him more deeply. As you move through this week, also remember the kind of people that Jesus sought and found while he lived among us. Allow that to inspire you, to awaken you, to convict you, to free you to look beyond the safe places you normally gravitate to as you create new relationships.
He came to seek and to save the lost. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, Jesus says. Where are you making room for the Zacchaeuses of your world, I ask you? The despised, the rejected, the outcasts. I just want to close with, I think, one of my favorite stories that captures this. You may have heard this story. I kind of hope you haven't. It's actually a true account that appeared in the Boston Globe a few years ago. It's a real story. Accompanied by her fiancé, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston and ordered a meal where the wedding reception was going to be. The expected bride and groom-to-be poured over the menu and went on to make selections of china silver, pointed to the flower arrangements they wanted. They both had expensive tastes. The bill came to $13,000. After leaving a check for half the amount for the down payment, the couple went home. The day the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the potential groom got cold feet. I'm just not sure. This is a really big commitment. I think more t- I need to take more time to think about it. And he broke off the engagement. Boo. When his rejected fiancé returned to the Hyatt to cancel the reception, the events manager couldn't have been more understanding. Same thing happened to me, she said, and told her own story of a broken engagement. But about the refund, she had only bad news. The contract was binding. She said, you're only entitled to 1300 of the 6000 back. She said, you have two options. You can forfeit the rest of the down payment or go ahead with the party. Seemed like a crazy idea, but the more the would-be bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but just a big party. Ten years before, the same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She'd gotten back on her feet, found a good job, set aside a sizable nest egg, and now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down-and-outers of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was that the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party that had never been seen before. The hostess changed the meal to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. (laughs) And sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters around town. And on a warm summer night, people who are used to eating peeled, half-gnawed pizza off cardboard boxes dined instead to chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up on crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off the hard life of the street, of the sidewalks, and instead ate chocolate cake and danced to big band melodies until late into the night. I love that. Jesus said, that's what life is like in my kingdom. People who have only known emptiness and spiritual poverty are invited into the party, invited into forgiveness and love and the goodness of God and all this by his grace and all this by his mercy. 
He came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So how about the Zacchaeuses in your world and mine? Here's your chance to be a part of that amazing story. Father, we are so grateful that in seeking and saving the lost, you included us, not because of any merit of our own, but surely only because of your kindness. Help us, help us not to be like the members of the crowd that day who forgot who they are and what they needed. Help us to be like this real sinner who was transformed by your mercy and surely went out a changed man. Help us to be changed men and women who lead with love and not with judgment. Set us free. Feed us now at this table. And in being nourished by your undeserved grace, let us extend that grace to everyone we meet this week. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen.